feature presentation. I like it spooky. Everybody, welcome to I Like Spooky Horror Podcast. I'm Brian. I am Clint. And although I can't promise anything, I can reasonably assure that this will be the last episode for a while where you will hear us talk about Motor City Nightmares or Flashback. Watch, they're going to announce some like big celebrity for both in, tech, in like the next week. And we'll be like, we got to talk about it. He's never done or she's never done a convention before. Now they're coming to. That would be something to cover in news for sure. And speaking of news, let's get to some horror news. So my news this episode is about Screenbox. And Screenbox was at Flashback in Chicago. They had some merchandise. They were push, pushing some movies. In August, they got some cult classics coming to Screenbox. Chopping Mall, which I love, and Magic, which I've never seen. It's been on my radar for a long time. I need to check that out. So the Screenbox is making some moves. You know, they're making some, uh, to me, I like Shudder. But I like Shutter because of Joe Bob. And I've noticed over the last couple months that Shutter used to have like a huge list every month. And it's kind of like half of what it used to be. So I don't know if they're in works getting pushed over to AMC Plus or what's going on there. But Screenbox is starting to put out some great stuff. So I'm going to have to keep an eye out on them. What do you think? Uh, you almost wonder if if Shutter is teaming up with AMC Plus if the, and you're saying that their, uh, their library, their catalog is dwindling. Uh, you got to wonder if they are in a transition if they're going to showcase more mainstream because i mean they kind of do a little bit of everything but a lot of stuff on shutter you know they've got their uh their giallo block and their just obscure kind of kino cult type block stuff um and yeah maybe that'll all go away they're owned by AMC Plus, AMC owns Shutter, so I wonder if they're kind of slowly, like I said, melting it in to be part of AMC Plus. Like a you get AMC Plus, but you also get Shutter. I don't even know how that would work. Arrow down and it's Shutter. You click Shutter and it opens, but it's in the AMC Plus app. You know they charge you maybe a little bit more. It'd be interesting to see what happens. I feel like we've all kind of thought for two or three years that there's too many damn streaming apps there is but one of the problems and i mean it's smart on their end but almost all of these streaming apps even if you get outside of horror just general entertainment they almost all have the same stuff you can go to hulu and you can go to netflix and you can go to i don't know whatever else and watch point break or watch the he-man masters of the universe i don't know but they each at like shutter exclusively has joe bob's so you're like okay i gotta have shutter the upcoming uh series for Friday the 13th, you know, is exclusively to what Peacock Twisted Metal is out right now. The, the series is exclusive to Peacock. So you almost have to have all of these different streaming services just to see the stuff. I haven't watched my Netflix in months, but I can't get rid of it because I know that Wednesday season two of Wednesday is coming out just there. Cobra, the next season of Cobra Kai is coming out just there. And I have to see those. So I can't get rid of them. Stranger Things is coming out there. I did hear one of your news stories on Spill the Guts this week that Tubi is going to start doing some exclusive content with that. Uh, was it a movie, a documentary? Satan Wants You? 
Yeah, Satan Wants You. They um, they picked up the rights to it at a film festival, I think it was, from SS. SXSW, I think is what it was. And yeah, they're going to exclusively be showing that. And there was an, another related thing they're going to exclusively be showing. And it kind of alluded to that perhaps Tubi is going to get in the market of producing their own original content. And I've heard people say Amazon Prime pays them for their movies, but Tubi and Crackle and some of the free apps pay better because they have commercials. People are starting to look at some of the free apps and say, oh, maybe this is the way to go. That and then for for indie filmmakers or people you know, trying to learn their craft and come up, recently joined a uh, Facebook low-budget filmmaker group, and I see a lot of people discussing the, the submission process for putting your original work up on Prime or up to Netflix. And it sounded like Tubi was kind of the most or the, the easiest to access as far as the submission process. Yeah, when you've put a lot of work into something, I'm sure when you get to the end of it, you're like, okay, what's easy? Filmmaking seems like it's ridiculously hard. I've never made a movie, but you know, it just seems like anything that can go wrong most of the time is going to go wrong. You're going to have issues. It just happens in life, you know, and most of the indie filmmakers have a job and this is their passion. So they've put all this time and effort and money into this thing. At the end of it, you're like, okay, where can I get people to see this movie or short or whatever, the documentary? And it's easy. That's where I'm going to go first. It's weird because it's, it's like I always say, we live in this age now where it's so easy to communicate with people. But yet I feel that as easy it is for people to communicate, it's hard for people anymore. You know, it's harder than it used to be. And it seems like that as far as, you know, film submissions and, and getting your film seen, because, again, it just seems like there are so many more outlets Film festivals, streaming channels, production companies. Um, there's, you know, all this stuff you can do to get your film seen that it seems like it was harder to do back in the day. But even though it's more accessible, it seems harder now. So what do you got for news? Anything exciting? Well, yeah, again, since I do spill the guts, it's really hard to pick news for this show because I don't want to you know, double cover something. But I've actually got a list of stuff. I'm a few days behind because we've had a busy couple of uh, news weeks. I settled on from bloodydisgusting.com. So two days ago... Uh, took the kids and we went and saw Talk to Me. Right before we went, I talked, I think it was on last Friday's edition of Spill the Guts. I found out that there's already a sequel planned for this, but they're also, A24 is putting out an official prop replica hand. It says here that A24 has a hit on their hands with the latest horror movie Talk to Me, which is performing well at the box office and a sequel. Yes, it's titled Talk to Me 2. That's brilliant. Uh, is already on the way. But what about a prop replica hand? It sounds like a lot of people have been asking for this. And uh, it says here that A24 is always quick to merchandise their hit movies in their official online shop, which is shop.a24films.com. And so soon we are going to have a prop replica of the hand from the movie. I've heard so many people give this movie rave reviews. And then I was like, what do you think, Clint? And you're like, eh. You know, it's like you say, Brian, just because I don't necessarily care for it doesn't mean it's not a good movie. It had some cool moments and it had um, a couple decent scares in it, but it had a lot of filler. It's It was interesting to me because um, Tad Good from Attack of the Killer podcast had a Facebook post and he was like, this is the best film of 2023 so far. And again, just because I disagree with him doesn't mean I'm right. He's wrong, vice versa. Something I thought was interesting was Tad 
talks about through Snake Alley um, Film Festival that it's better to have a 10 minutes of a good short film as opposed to 30 minutes of a not so good film, meaning you don't need all that filler. You don't need all that excess. And I felt that talk to me had a lot of filler, a lot of excess. It was slow, just a lot of junk that we didn't need. So I didn't necessarily care for it. I gave it a 4.5, but I am interested in the prop replica hand because obviously I'm a collector and I also look at that as an investment and I will give them money to grab that hand. Yeah, I saw that he said it was a mixture of hereditary and it follows and hereditary. I'm kind of like, yeah, it was okay. It was, but it follows. I love, but if it's a mixture of those two movies, I feel like hereditary had a lot of filler in it. You know, I'm like, there's some great scenes, there's great acting, but I'm just like, okay, let's come on, let's go. Well, you know, and I was talking with my girls on the way home. We always discuss the film on the way home now. And uh, my oldest, you know, she's 16. She's driving out. She's a little more kind of, she's branched off from my weird old mutant subgenre type stuff and kind of gone a little more mainstream in life in general, which, you know, hey, more power to her. She seemed to enjoy it. And so we were just kind of not even really debating, more of a discussion slash debate back and forth. And finally, I'm, I'm listening to her and I'm like, I was like, do you think maybe this is a generational thing? Do you think maybe it's just like I'm not the young hip guy anymore? So I just don't get it. You know, like that's a possibility, too. She's like, yep, <laughs> <laughs> threw me threw me right under the fucking bus. You know, like, yeah, old man, you suck. You know, so. Hey, we'll we'll jo- enjoy the street trash remake. The, the, see, that's and that's where I, I would agree that it probably is. Uh, just me being an old man because yeah i can't wait for the street trash remake i can't wait for the new to- uh, toxic avenger to come out I, I want that gore i want that splatter but i love a good i love a good story too and i think a uh, a24 i think talk to me at the core had a good story but i just felt that the story kind of muddled and and just repeated itself and went off in these weird directions so it kind of lost me well and if the Street Trash remake is anything like Fried Berry. I don't know if you saw that. I didn't. Yeah, Joe Bob showed it on the last drive-in one night. So I was like, oh, I'll check this out. And I, I enjoyed the movie a lot. The guy that directed it's from like South Africa. And it's being filmed over there. It's kind of maybe got that already that New York feel built into it, you know, in the slums of South Africa. It should be a good movie. And if it's anything, like I said, like Fried Berry, it'll be a blast. The only thing that worries me about the Street Trash remake is I never really realized, and I haven't seen it in a long time. I need to go back and watch it. Of course, I was younger, so I wasn't as aware of things like this, that it necessarily kind of had this underlying social theme of like class warfare. You know, I didn't see that. I just saw this fun, gory splatter flick. And then uh, when I was reading the article that I did cover on Spill the Guts last Friday for Street Trash also, it sounded like it was going to have this whole social commentary about divide between, you know, poor and rich getting even farther. I think specific to South Africa. I'm not for sure necessarily how their culture or economy or stuff works. But I was just like, man, I hope that this fun splatter flick isn't going to be weighed down with a bunch of politics. I get wanting to put a social commentary and stuff. You're an artist, you're a filmmaker, you want to reveal to the world how you feel or how you see it. But I just hope it's still a fun movie. Kind of like, um, you know, how much fun it's going to be to buy this prop replica hand and maybe take it out of the package even and hold on to the hand and see if I can talk to the spirit world. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have no idea how much it's going to be going for. I recently, because I haven't bought anything in quite a long time, 
and I did really good at Motor City Nightmares and Flashback Weekend. Thank you, everybody, for supporting inkmirrors.com. I went on a little shopping spree that we'll get to here in a second. So I don't know if I'm going to have enough money to grab the prop replica hand by the, when it comes out. How about you? You got some money you can loan me? I think that hand will grab you. So I did pick up a couple things, not much. Five Joe Bob autographs in uh, Chicago. <laughs> I counted. I was like, "Shit!" But my five Joe Bob autographs were cheaper than two uh, Dick Warlock autographs, so I'm good there. Um, and they weren't all for me. I think you like strategically planned that out. You were like, "If I go over there enough, he is going to remember my name. He's just by proxy. He's going to have to." He didn't. Well, no, because he was out partying with Charles Band. Yeah, we were standing outside, you know, kind of the gathering place. A black SUV Escalade pulls up, you know, big, nice, fancy Uber or Lyft or whatever. And here Joe Bob gets out. He goes to walk through the, what are those even called? I don't even know what the hell they're called. Oscillating door. And it's censored, so it should pick up a seven foot tall. Well, he's not seven foot tall, but, you know, he's six foot something tall guy. And it's not even moving. He got stuck in there. <laughs> yeah, he's like standing there, which I probably would have stood there for a minute too, but then Charles Band comes around and pushes it and it goes. But uh, yeah, he was super, super nice all weekend. The lady that was working with him was, you know, super friendly. I was in trouble because I didn't, I didn't take Finley with me. My daughter, who's five now, would not talk to me all weekend. She talked to me on Friday, but then she seen the picture of Joe Bob and I with my gumball machine, which is one reason why I'm poor. Um, I got my gumball machine autographed and got it authenticated. And the JSA guys were like, what are we, what? I said, it's a gumball machine. You ever authenticated a gumball machine? The guy's like, my first time. She wouldn't talk to me all weekend. So I got him to record that little video, you know, as like a try to get back into the house on Sunday night when I get home. But uh, I got his autograph five times, Gumball Machine. I got a Nintendo, I think is what it's called, a Nintendo cartridge. It's Nintendo, yep. Yeah, I got a black Nintendo cartridge of the last drive-in from our friend uh, Josh Perlmutter at Bootlegas Fuck Toys. And then he donated two of those. I got those autographed and authenticated for the, it's a silent auction that the Halloween of Palooza got are doing later in the year for uh, Andy Watson, our friend that passed away. And then I got a shadow box basket case because he showed that on the first season. I think it was like the eighth movie and I got that autographed. But five autographs were a hundred bucks. He was 20 bucks if it was your own thing. I think a eight by 10 was 30 if he provided the picture for you. So I was like 20 bucks. I mean, you can't beat a $20 autograph. I will have to take my gumball machine somewhere else if Darcy's with him and have her sign it. Um, and I kind of promised Finley if they were around the area, I'd take her. You know, if they're like the music box or something, we could figure out what just go and meet them, do a meet and greet. And then, you know, she probably couldn't stay for the movies, but, you know, maybe they'll be at a film festival or something. Hell, I don't know. Yeah, Darcy couldn't make it to flashback. She was supposed to be there, Darcy the male girl. But uh, apparently her cat had passed away over the weekend. And I felt so bad because I had already planned and didn't think about it. But the Sunday, the third day of the show, I'm walking around with my dead puppies aren't much fun shirt on. And then it kind of no one said anything. So I think it was OK. I don't think anybody made the connection. But me, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Should I be wearing this right now? 
But yeah, we had a great time at Flashback Chicago and had a great time at Motor City Nightmares. Finley met Felissa Rose. Um, that's her first convention and first celebrity meet. Felissa Rose was almost in tears reading my letter, you know, and signing it and just gave Finley the biggest, longest hug ever. You know, she just thought she was the cutest little thing. When you got Joe Bob's autograph on the basket case shadow box, did you go up and say, you showed this on... This was the eighth movie you showed on season one. Can you sign this? And did he look at you like, what the fuck? I think I did because he's like, where do you want me to sign it? And uh, he's like, where'd you get this at? And I was like, well, this guy over here makes them with his wife. And, you know, you showed this season one, like the eighth movie. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. We there was another movie that I said to him. And I would imagine it all runs together for them just because it was the eighth movie they showed. Who knows when it was, you know, like, did they film it eighth? Did they film it fifth? Who knows? That's why I was asking, because again, I'm sure it all does run together. But I was just wondering if he was like, oh, my God. This guy knows way too much. <laughs> yeah. Which which one this was, what season it was. Wow. You know, and you're like, I run a podcast. I'm supposed to know these things. Well, and it's simple enough to because I always have to look at the episode. They read my letter. I think Stepfather was first and Freak Maker was second. So I'm always like, which and the date I have to look at, even though it's on the fucking letter, I have to look that up. It was funny. Yesterday, I went and saw the Monster Squad in the Quad Cities, which is close to where I live. And somebody had a copy of the Stepfather on, v- on VHS. And I was like, damn it. I was looking for something like this. At $20 an autograph, I can grab a couple more autographs and still be in good shape. What about you? Did you get anything? I got some money from you. You and Jason left money on the bed. Oh, yeah. Like I was your, like I was your call girl. That was kind of cute. I got a list because, again, I haven't spent money in a while. Um, you know, I've been worrying about the looming strike at my day job at UPS. And um, although it still is potentially there, uh, it looks like we have a tentative agreement. We're going to sign it. Things are kind of you know shaping up there. So I'm not as worried about that. Had a great, great show, Motor City Nightmares and Flashbacks. So... I bought stuff, some stuff I shouldn't have because it was just like spree time. I got money. First thing at Motor City Nightmares, Weirdsville Records was there. They had a booth set up. I wandered over with Finley. I took her with me and I feel bad because that's when we lost her little baby kangaroo. I still don't know what happened to that thing. Little stuffed animal. But uh, she was like a good luck charm. And I walked over there with her. I was going to look through the records and right up front, I've been wanting to get Waxwork Records. Just came out with that Rob Zombie Prevents and it was Spider Baby, the soundtrack. And so we were there like 10 seconds. I walked up i was like boom i want it you know so i grabbed that that was actually the only thing that i got at motor city nightmares though there were a couple autographs i was going to get um that i just didn't have time to make it over there or by the time i got there things were wrapping up so i wasn't able to get access to the the celebrities but since i did do well there I talked about this before, but I finally came home and ordered the Super 7 Return of the Living Dead action figures. And I also went ahead and ordered that pre-ordered the Motel Hell 8-inch figure from Trick or Treat Studios, which that doesn't come out for a while, but I do have the return figures now. Uh, So I picked up some protective cases. Jason never, we never hooked up to go in on a bunch. So I just ordered, I got like a 10 pack for 30 bucks or something. Um, and while we were there, there's a vendor there that sells toys that had this. I don't get into Funko Pops, but he had this Funko Pop set and it was the Gruesomes, which was a band from the Flintstones. And I'm like, this is cool. It's rare. It's weird. I looked it up and found that it still holds value and there's interest. And I'm like, I'd love to have this piece in my collection. 
And this particular vendor, I'm not saying anything bad about him. I've actually chatted with him a few times. He's a good guy. His son's pretty cool too, but he always prices things kind of high and he's a real, real tough egg as far as negotiating. And I suck at negotiating. So he had a price pretty well above what what I felt it was worth and what it had gone for in eBay and whatnot. And so I just, I was like, eh, and I kind of shied away. So I didn't pick that up. But now flash forward a week later to flashback, he's there and it's there. And he's got the same price on it. And uh, Jason was there with us with a slew of other people. But so I said, Jason, if on the third day, if I do okay here, I was like, I'm going to hand you X amount of dollars and I want you to go over there and negotiate with this guy. I said, here's how much I'm willing to pay. This is what I want to pay. And Jason's like, okay. Cause we always joked about Jason is good at Jasoning people. He's a good negotiator. Yeah, sure as shit. He went over there and got it for less than what I was willing to pay. You know, like my, my final offer. So I was tickled pink over that. Of course it cost me a t-shirt. I got to make him a t-shirt. What else? Let's see. So while I was at flashback, I got a uh, Dick Warlock's autograph. He played Michael Myers in Halloween two, for those who don't know. And even if he didn't, his name is Dick Warlock. So he deserves <laughs> someone to pay him for his autograph just based off his name alone. Great guy. That was, uh, I, I had him belly laughing. We were belly laughing together. And that doesn't happen too often. I don't like meeting celebs. I've said it before. If I don't have some sort of connection and something to talk about, I don't want to go up and be like, oh, I love your movie. It's just kind of lame. But he was one of those people I did not have a connection with. But I have the NECA Halloween 2 two-pack with Michael Myers and Sam Loomis, Donald Pleasance. So I had to get it signed. Yeah, just for him and I to sit there and laugh and have fun. It was it was a pretty cool time. And uh, right across from the Valentine Bluss table, Valentine Bluss had a booth there. There was an indie filmmaker. I looked over and he had all this stuff for this movie called Skeletons in the Closet. And I'd seen that movie and I loved that movie. And I just stopped. I was like, Skeletons in the Closet, Skeletons in the Closet. I was like, holy shit, I've seen this. Okay, there's Ellie Church. I love this movie. And the guy, you know, he had made the film. So, uh, you know, we, we were talking back and forth. He might be a future guest talking about that and some upcoming projects. But he had a record of the soundtrack of the album. I love this soundtrack. I love this song. <laughs> He was a great guy. Uh, let's see. What else? There's more. Sorry. I love Ellie Church. She's beautiful. Uh, yeah. How do you How do you not? She's very charismatic. Yes. Sorry. I'll give you a, a chance to talk in a minute. We've got more stuff to cover here. I haven't done this in a while. Okay. We got more. On the other side of the Valentine Bluffs table, there was this guy with, you saw the guy with the backpacks and they had like the digital on the back and he had hats with like digital and it was like ghost face and art the clown. He had um these little neon signs and it was like a round horror sticker that would go in a VHS cassette in the 80s and um, you know had three different light settings it took batteries Boots has one in her room that I got a long time ago of this unicorn that she still uses but she's kind of outgrown the unicorn I was like oh this is perfect so I grabbed that for her you know this green round flashing horror sticker nightlight thing I'm talking about Valentine Bluffs they are just about wrapping up, I think, getting everybody their perks. They've had some setbacks with that, which is unfortunate. Anybody who uh, is listening, who is waiting for a perk, hang tight. They're working hard to get that stuff out. They brought uh, 
some stuff that they owed me and some stuff they owed you, Brian. So I got my uh, got my Valentine Blessed DVD and there was a picture and, uh, you know, some other stuff. So that was pretty cool. I'm glad to see that they're just about done wrapping up their Perks, you know, campaign from their Indiegogo campaign so they can kind of move forward to the next step, not be underneath that so much. Killer Clowns from Outer Space Popcorn Prop Replica Gun. Spirit Halloween is open, folks, and that gun is there. Well, it might not be anymore because everybody's going out and buying it. A little pricey. It's 100 bucks, but it is like a full-size replica prop. This was the first time I walked into Spirit Halloween right off the bat. They had two of them. The boxes were in great shape. Boom. Done. That doesn't happen too often. I had forgotten about this, but Haya Toys released recently i think they're only three and seven what three and three quarter inch action figures but they're of Leatherface from the recent texas chainsaw massacre that was out on um netflix where Leatherface is kind of older now they've got two versions like a normal version and a bloody version and i wanted them but i forgot about them and i was on facebook the other day saw someone had ordered both they already got them so i was like oh shit so i hopped on and ordered the bloody version so that's coming let's see other than that some school clothes for the kids. My mom this year, because we were worried about the, the impacts of the strike, actually picked up a, a bulk of the, the clothes for the girls. So thank you, mom, if you're listening. It was very nice. And of course, after that, I had this you know fortune windfall of these two shows. And there were a few things lingering, so I picked up picked up the rest of the stuff. And I finally got, this is dumb as shit, I finally got my hedge trimmer. I've been wanting this stupid steel hedge trimmer forever because I got bushes all over the place to maintain. They were looking like shit. It looked like I lived in an overgrown cemetery. My mom's house was a wreck. And so I finally, like, all right, so I go get the, get the trimmer. Got this spiffy little steel hat to go with it. You have to buy the hat extra? I did. It was like 12 bucks. It was kind of funny. I, maybe maybe people listening aren't going to want to hear this. It's kind of boring. But I walk in and I point and I go, I want that. He says, you want that? And I go, yeah. And he hands it to me and he goes, okay, how does it feel or whatever? And then he says, you sure you don't want to look at it? And I was like, no, I want this. He goes, well, you're easy to shop for. You're easy to ring up or something. And I said, I know what I want. And then he goes, well, if you get a 12 or a six case of oil, you get a two-year warranty. I said, well, I need it. So I had it on there. And he just looks at me. And then I was like, you know what? I'm in the market for a hat too. And he was like, Jesus Christ, this is simple. This is all in the matter of like two minutes. <laughs> I said, look, buddy, if you had milk and eggs here, I said, I'd only have to go to one place, you know, so that's kind of dumb. But anyway, um, that's a lot. Sorry, that, that was a lot, but I haven't got stuff in a while and I'm kind of excited to add to my collection and get all that stuff going. And now I am going to be poor for a while because I don't have a show for another month or so. I hear that the Frankenstein curse is over. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So um, let's see. Was that flash? Yeah, was that flashback? Uh, Melissa had come over to hang out with the girls and cut Hannah's hair and help Boots make some candles because I was out of stuffed candles. So they make my stuffed candles for me. And some packages showed up. They, they were the tins for the candles. And then she was like, there's this other Amazon package here. And I just went, oh, huh, that's weird. I don't know what it is. I couldn't remember ordering anything that I hadn't got yet. I think you said something, didn't you? You said something to me like you should check the mail or ask him if. Yeah, to check for a Amazon package. Brian and his family recently came and stayed at my house only for a night. We had a good time. Um, I was a little worried because it had been a while since I had a four-year-old in the house. But I tell you what, I love Finley to death. She was a great, great little four-year-old kid. Um, you know, she wasn't destructive or, you know, because again, I said a four-year-old's a four-year-old. They're all full of energy. You don't know what's going to happen, but she was great. I had a lot of fun. And um, so Brian here was gracious enough to buy me the Frankenstein accessory pack as a thank you, which again, you didn't have to. I appreciate it. But yeah, it's, that's like my eighth, well, not my eighth, but it's the eighth attempt to get that damn thing. <laughs> and it was in great shape. The box is good. There's no dense ding scratches. So thank you, sir. You just have to like tell us to get stuff for you next time. You're like, I really want this. Will you order it for me? 
<laughs> now, yeah, I think I'm the one that's cursed. That or you broke the curse. You're talking about that movie magic you want to see. You worked your magic. Yeah. Well, let's try this. If that's all it takes... Obviously, I just listed off a bunch of shit. Some of it I needed to, some of it I wanted to, a lot of it I shouldn't have spent money on. So I'm almost kind of back into that broke poorhouse. Brian, bring a sponsor to the show. Work your magic so we can have some money. So you want to visit a haunted house? Hmm? I think I have one that should suit you. That is, if you dare follow me. Ah, uh, here we are at the door. Happy haunting. <laughs> hey, haunters. Clint here from the I Like a Spooky Horror Podcast. As a former haunted attraction owner, I know firsthand how expensive mass advertising can be. If you are looking for an alternative way to advertise directly to your target audience, look no further than the I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast. Simply email us at ilikeitspookypod at gmail.com and we will get back to you with info about our affordable rates. So now that we've heard from our sponsor, it's time for our TV shows. It's no movie this episode. <laughs> it's TV shows. So we're covering that it's 1980 in Great Britain. You're set on down for bed and you get to watch Hammer House of Horror. And this was like for TV, right? Yeah, it was a television series in 1980. It had uh, 13 episodes, only the only the one season, which is kind of surprising. So... We each picked a episode and we watched both. Yeah, I picked The House That Bled to Death and Clint picked uh, The Silent Scream. Both enjoyable. Peter Cushing was in The Silent Scream. I don't know which one you want to talk about first. Spoiler alert, I liked yours more than I liked mine. Spoiler alert, me too. <laughs> so I guess quick before we get into the episodes, this uh, this episode right here is um, kind of reminiscent of we did this a while back when we covered Tales from the Crypt. Jason was still in the show. We each picked an episode and then we discussed it. And then I remember we didn't necessarily rate which one was the best because we didn't want to compete. You know, all of all these are enjoyable to other people. Kind of like I said earlier, you know, Tad enjoyed talk to me and I didn't like it so much, but it doesn't matter. But yeah, Hammer House of Horror. It's a British anthology television series from 1980. Uh, it was produced by England's leading exporters of horror films, Hammer Film Productions. If you don't know who Hammer Films are, I suggest you do some research because, you know, Hammer Films, they brought us tons of great stuff. They introduced us to Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing. There's a lot of stuff with Vincent Price. This show in particular, it told tales of haunted houses, demons, ghosts, and other supernatural wonders, plus some other stuff. But it had, in my opinion, Brian, the one of the best intro musics. I love the intro music. Some people are going to be like, why are you talking about Hammer House of Horror? So 
last month, we had a pretty decent spike in listenership from England. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, let's talk about our friends on the other side of the pond and cover something that they watched growing up or enjoy now. Um, I I mean, I had fun with these. And like you said, if you don't know Hammer, you do. If you've watched any amount of horror movies, most people that have watched the genre know Monster Squad. And one of the big Easter eggs in Monster Squad is in the clubhouse. There's a vampire circus poster. You know, if you watch and wear Frankenstein's looking at the mask, that's one of the well-known parts of the movie. He They hand Frankenstein the mask and he looks at it and he knocks it away and touches his face and he says scary or something along those lines. In the background, there's a vampire circus, which is a beautiful poster. And that's one of the Hammer movies from 60s or 70s. That's I've seen that and I loved it. But you know, you know Hammer, even if you don't think you know it. Absolutely. Grained in this genre, even if you lived in the United States or hell, probably Russia or Germany or, you know, Australia, wherever you've lived throughout the world. If you love horror movies, you know, Hammer. Absolutely. And and like you said, we were kind of looking over our analytics and I was like, wow, well, there's this like, you know, huge uh, spike in listeners in the UK. So it was like, let's do something that, you know, from the UK. And I mean, Hammer House of Horrors is, or just Hammer Films. And that was the thing is Hammer Films is like the first thing that popped to mind. And it was like, oh, it's going to be really tough to pick a movie. And I was like, let's do like we did with Tales from the Crypt with, you know, each pick an episode. And see something also um, recognizable from Hammer House of Horrors, the television show. Something I noticed, I had watched the entire series a, a long time ago. Well, about a year and a half, two years ago. Something I noticed right off the bat is it's actually filled with a lot of stars when they were younger. So like the very first episode is, um, I forget the title, but it's the the witching. Now something about a witch. And um, it has Patricia Quinn, who played Magenta and Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, the episode I chose, it's got Peter Cushing. It's got Brian Cox. Brian Cox has been in a slew of movies. Probably the one that first one that popped to mind. I was like, oh my God, that's the, the sheriff from Super Troopers. The second episode has Denholm Elliott, and he played Coleman, the butler in Trading Places. One of the episodes has Simon, I got to see how I can pronounce his name, Matt Corkendale. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's Philip Vince Roy from Jaws 3D. So there's a lot of recognizable talent in this series. Yeah, it's really weird that it only got one season. I don't, you think it was timing maybe or what it was? Because we got Tales from the Crypt in the United States, which was later. We got Monsters. We got Tales from the Dark Side. And those seem like they went on for several seasons. I mean, even like the Friday the 13th show. I feel like that got two or three years and that show was not nearly as good as this. I tried to research to find out and um, I didn't come up with an answer. Maybe someone listening knows if you guys know you hit us up on our socials or send us uh, an email at I like a spooky pot at gmail.com. Bing, cheap plug. Um, but let us know if you guys know something because I couldn't find anything. I was curious the same thing. And the only thing that I can come up with is if you think about it, early 80s. There wasn't anthology shows. It wasn't until late 80s into the early 90s when you had Tales from the Dark Side, Friday the 13th, the series, Tales from the Crypt, Freddy's Nightmares. It was like this time period. It was like no one, you know, Twilight Zone, it kind of ended that the Twilight Zone movie came out. I think that was what 81 or 82. Yeah, there just weren't any anthology shows. I don't know if people just weren't interested in those at the time. I'll preface all this by saying they're well acted. Mm -hmm. They look good. They sound good. The writing is good. Uh, My episode kind of lagged. I mean, if we want to get into the episodes, I picked the house that bled to death. 
kind of lagged in the middle. It's kind of had like a poltergeist feel to it. I was like, come on. I know it's only 51 minutes long, but come on. It's let's get to where we're going. And the premise of this movie is there was or this episode was there was a murder committed. They're like a grizzly murder. And I was like, he poisoned her and then maybe cut her up. She was already dead from being poisons that's not too grisly but he did cut her up it's an older couple the husband poisons the wife and then as she's dying moves her pills so she can't reach them <laughs> i was gonna say your yours yours started out like probably some old married couple's dream just like i'm gonna i'm gonna bump you off you know so the house is abandoned because this murder occurred this young couple with a child comes to look at it with what you think is a realtor and they buy the house and, you know, they they start to meet neighbors and weird stuff starts to happen. Takes a while to get to the, that party scene. There's a party scene towards the end where it's their daughter's birthday. The husband goes because the water's not working and a pipe falls off the ceiling and starts spraying blood all over these kids and their parents at this party. Could you try again? I looked up. Even my watch was like, that was creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing some research and that was like the 50th scariest moment. There was a list of like 50th scariest horror moments. And that was in one of the top top 50 or so. I mean, it, maybe back then it was scary. I kind of thought it was funny. I thought it was hilarious, too. I was like, that's my kind of party after the blood spurts out all over the place, all over the kids. They go to the hospital. They leave. The nurse comes to the neighbors because the neighbors go to check on them. They're like, did you know these people? And they're like, yeah, yeah, they were our neighbors. And the nurse is like, well, the wife, there was no record of her. No social security card, nothing. They're like, well, that's weird. And then it jumps forward to it's a husband and wife or I don't I guess. And uh, they're swimming and having a gay old time and just partying it up and come to find out that the guy that put them in the house was a writer. And he made all this stuff up and he's selling the movie rights and the book rights have already been sold and they're sitting pretty. And then at the end, their daughter comes in and kills him with the, the knife. The twist. This was first of all, this whole thing started out in my it was almost like the British Amityville. And that's the feel that it had from the beginning. Like you say, this old man murders his wife. They've got these weird machete type knives hanging up in their kitchen and they kind of looked like the knives that um, Abby used in the last episode we covered from Planet Terror to like castrate people and, you know, put their balls in his trophy, trophy jar there. Uh, they were hung in this weird place. And um, again, uh, husband kills his wife. Yeah. Shortly after, like you say, the, the family moves in and they're like right at, right after they move in, things kind of start to, to happen and escalate. And I remember there's the scene where like the windows slam shut, the doors slam shut, the gas to the the fireplace like kind of cracked open and you hear gas hissing out and the wife couldn't turn it off. And then the daughter, all of a sudden her wall starts bleeding. And if you look real quick, it looks like the wall kind of cracks and separates the way they kind of kept the camera off that. It looked to me like they were going to do something more dramatic with that. And maybe it didn't work. And so they tried to like, like you saw it start to happen and then it just wasn't referenced ever. And the crack was gone in like the next scene, which I thought was weird. And then the cat dies. They find the cat. It's it, it, they made it appear that like a window had fallen and killed the cat. But they kind of throughout this whole episode allude that is it paranormal? Is it not? This episode was the only one in the series that you find out at the end is actually a murder mystery. It has nothing 
necessarily supernatural about it. It was all staged. Because like you say, who you who you think is the realtor, he pops up about three quarters of the way through the episode and meets with the husband at the bar. And I'm at a first time watch, it was really jarring. I'm like, he wasn't trying to like say, you sold us a haunted house. They were conferring. And it was like, what is going on? What are they talking about? And then, yeah, you find out at the end that the, the person who was the realtor actually was a writer put them in there. The husband staged a lot of these you know, haunting happenings and they made the whole damn thing up so they could write a book, make a movie. And so, yeah, you fast forward, they just disappear. And again, it was really jarring at the end. All of a sudden you're like, is this a haunting? Is it not a haunting? Why are they in a pool now? Look, their daughter's like three or four years older that Sophie was her name. Then they explain, ha ha ha, we pulled this off, yada, yada, yada. But what I thought was probably the most confusing part was they're at the pool, the daughter's older, she's flipping through the book and the mom and dad are in the pool and they kind of intercut and the mom and dad are like, well, Sophie's still having nightmares from all the stuff that happened. He's like, it's okay. She's a kid. She'll grow out of it. Yada, yada, yada. And she's flipping through the book, the daughter who's older now, and she comes to a picture of the cat. She loved that cat. And that's like what made her snap. And she goes and grabs the weird castration knife and goes in and kills the dad. I'm assuming kills the mom afterwards. You're telling me that she didn't realize what was going on. They were in a haunted house. Now they got a bunch of money and they're living in California now in a pool. They wrote a book. It got weird and gray. It was almost like they had a really good idea. And at the end, they're like, oh, fuck, we just need to wrap the story up somehow. Boom, we're done. Yeah, I would have been happy if that was the end of the story. Just them being happy and having money and pulling the wool over everyone's eyes. Now that I think about it, you're talking about Amityville and like Poltergeist. I said Poltergeist and you had said Amityville. But like, do you think the writer of this episode was like, them stupid Americans, Amityville didn't really happen. It was a money grab. A lot of people thought that and still think that to this day, that the DeFeos were actually not, wasn't the, yeah, the DeFeos were actually um, just made that stuff up because they were behind in, you know, they got in over their head. They couldn't afford the house payments. So like, okay, we're going to say this house is haunted because of the past that it had. So yeah, that's why I say it was just like, just like Amityville. I watched only two episodes. I want to watch some more, but if the twists continue to happen like they did in this, these two episodes, I really will enjoy these because I had said I liked yours more than I liked my pick. I was at like a three until the end of this. I was like, oh my God. Really? I mean, maybe maybe like a three and a half with the party scene. But you know, like, <laughs> I was just like, okay, like, come on, let's get there. Even that party scene, though, you know, they, they show the, the kids all sitting around. These are what, eight-year-old kids or so? Sitting around this this table eating birthday cake and stuff. That scene before the, it was just so extended. It's like, how long can I watch this little girl eat cake? How long can I watch this little boy drink milk? And it's just, you knew what was going to happen. You hear the pipe above them, like, you know, air is blowing through it. You see it separate. They're just staring at the pipe. Then all of a sudden they get blasted with blood. The, the payoff was cool, but it took forever to get there. The whole episode was filled with like, um, you know, like when the, the cat died and the mom was like overly dramatic and like the kid's upset and the mom just slaps the shit out of the kid. And then the mom has to take pills from the doctor to rest and sedate herself over the whole thing. And I'm like, you know, it's tragic when an animal or your pet dies. But what? You're taking pills to sedate yourself to sleep because the cat got killed, you know, and at that birthday party. The knife shows back up. They had thrown the knives away and thinks it stopped happening at the house. 
And then someone brought the birthday present to their daughter and she unwrapped it and it was the knife. And the mom wigged out. I guess I would too, but my God, I would have left that party if I was there with my kid, the way she was talking to him. So again, it, it was full of all these weird little things, but the, uh, probably the weirdest thing was, remember when the pitcher burst into flames? Yeah. Oh, like what? No one questioned it. It made me think of Eddie. <laughs> it made me think of the Eddie Murphy joke about yeah, Amityville. Yeah. In the Amityville heart, a ghost told them to get out the house. White people stayed in there. Now that's a hit and a half for your ass. A ghost said, get the fuck out. I would just tip the fuck out the door. They walked and looked in the toilet bowl. was blood in the toilet. They said, that's peculiar. I would have been in the house and said, oh, baby, this is beautiful. We got a chandelier hanging up here. Kids outside playing. It's a beautiful neighborhood. We ain't got nothing to wear. I really love them. This is really nice. Too bad we can't stay, baby. Mr. Powers, the realtor, this doesn't have anything to do with this story, but I found out that he also played a commander in The Empire Strikes Back. Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. He's one of the guys that Vader chokes out, which I thought was kind of interesting. He was weird. The whole thing was odd. Sophie, speaking of Sophie, was in Return to Oz. She played uh, the Princess Ozma, or Ozma, I'm guessing is probably what it is. I had said something earlier about it being on TV because I was like, the lady was naked. You could see her boobs. Yeah, the side boom. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, they can put that on TV in England? And it's not going to be on TV here, not like on ABC. You will you will notice if if you sit down and go through this all 13 episodes that there is um there's quite a bit of nudity. So I guess it was allowed over there or whatever. And none of it's like none of it's graphic hardcore porn stuff, but there is there is quite a bit of nudity. Yeah, there's no demoniacs action going on in the no demoniacs. Oh, God. <laughs> Look, I started the episode and said we're done talking about nightmares of flashbacks. Demoniacs apparently is going to haunt us until the day we die. But Forever. Yeah. <laughs> bottom line, though, Brian, leave it to you out of all 13 episodes to pick the most A24 fucking episode out of all the episodes. <laughs> I just thought it sounded interesting. I was like, oh, I'll pick this one. <laughs> Make an A24 film, Stu and Mad Lib. Give me a genre. Art. Okay, and another? Indie drama. All right, give me a time period. 1700s. <clears throat> give me an animal we're going to make scary. Cow. All right, what's fucked up about the farm? It's haunted by ghosts. And the ending isn't so much an ending, but eh? Hey. Metaphor. All right, in the next A24 film, the trailers are going to make it look like a nail-biting horror film when in actuality is a slow-paced indie drama about a 1700s farmer being haunted by the ghost of his wife. The ghost tells him if he kills all of his crops and the animals, it'll bring her back. He gets down to his last animal, which is a scary, deformed cow that looks at him, and he looks back and then cries directly into camera until the credits roll. The whole theater's going to be like, what the fuck just happened? Like, was that the movie? The acting and the cinematography were incredible, but what was that ending? A metaphor? They're going to go home and read an article explaining that the ghost was not his wife, but a manifestation of his depression and grief. And the cow was a reflection of himself and how much he's changed. And then those people can pretend they knew that the whole time and look smart in front of their friends. <laughs> we're going to win an independent spirit award and make a somewhat decent amount of fucking money. I guess first off, before I said it, I want to say that I enjoy every episode, all 13 episodes in Hammer House of Horrors. Some I enjoy more than others. There's some that are kind of flat and kind of weird. But actually, my, my top three are the one that I chose, Silent Scream. It's my most favorite. Patricia Quinn's episode, which is Witching Time. That's like my second favorite. I love that episode. That was the first one I saw. That's what hooked me into the series. And actually, Brian's episode, which I agree is kind of subpar to those two, out of all of them, I think those are my top three from this series. And how do, how do you not choose 
Brian's episode with the title of The House That Bled to Death. You have to watch it. Well, my episode is Silent Scream. And if you look on the Internet Movie Database, it's actually the highest rated episode in the series. It stars Peter Cushing, stars Brian Cox. And this was the last time that Peter Cushing worked for Hammer. And I thought, that's cool. You know, better to burn out than to fade away. He burned out with Hammer Films because his performance in this is astounding. And then he exits exit stage right. They do not make actors or actresses like Peter Cushing anymore. They just don't. I mean, there's not people like this anymore. And maybe there is. They're just, we're not lucky enough for them to make it to big films and be on the screen all the time. Maybe they're doing plays in New York or Chicago or L.A. or hell, Seattle, Washington, and they never make it there. But yeah, they don't. There's not people like this that I'm seeing when I go see anything on the screen in a theater. They're just not there. I mean, they're just they don't make them like this. No, they don't. So a quick synopsis to Silent Scream. Uh, Brian Cox, who plays Chuck, he is released from prison uh, after time was added to his sentence uh, for trying to escape which is kind of an important element in the story. He returns home to his wife shortly after he accepts a job at a pet store ran by Peter Cushing, who visited Chuck while he was in prison. They didn't know each other. Peter Cushing's character kind of had this like outreach type humanitarian type persona, and he would go to prison prisons and visit with people and talk with people and... We find out we find out why later. It's a little more nefarious than what it seems like at first. Let's see. You find out that Peter Cushing is conditioning. He owns a pet store, but kind of in this back basement room, he's running these experiments to condition wild animals to not leave their open cages. Uh, and when I say wild animals, I mean, he's got like a panther, he's got a tiger, there's a lion, there's just kind of these animals that you go see at the zoo that you can't get at a pet store because they would kill you. As the story unfolds, Brian Cox uh, attempts to steal from Peter Cushing's safe and he becomes Peter Cushing's next experiment. When you find out that uh, they had had some dialogue about Peter Cushing's character being held captive, you come to find out that he wasn't held captive. He was holding people captive. So he was a Nazi. I gather that was a cool twist. Yeah, because Brian Cox, he tells Peter Cushing, he's like, yeah, you know, because he's like, why did you try to escape? You only had a little bit longer to get out. And Brian Cox is like, I just can't be caged. I just kind of lose myself. He, Brian says, when I was uh, a child, he said, when I was um, punished, he said they would lock me in the closet. And then, yeah, Peter Cushing goes, I know how you feel. I was a prisoner in a concentration camp. And then as things unfold, and like you say, when, when Brian Cox's character, Chuck, tries to open the safe, the floor opens up he gets dropped in this enclosed cage and peter cushing comes over and he's leaning over the edge talking to him and then the way they lit his face from underneath as all of a sudden now he's the evil villain unveiling his plan he's like i, I wasn't a, a prisoner he goes i was a nazi doctor and he said i was also uh, a study of human human uh, behavior there was some weird parts like Brian Cox in a bed with his wife and she's like, what do, what are we going to do tonight or something along those lines? And he's like, oh, what do you have in mind? Hell, you've been in prison for a couple of years. What do you think she has in mind? <laughs> well, that's what I thought was interesting was, um, you know, she lives in this very, well, it's secluded, but it's not. There's a highway right there, but it is still secluded and set way back. And then, of course, there's just nonstop highway noise and um i remember is is right off the bat right after chuck gets home from prison he says to his wife he says 
you're so secluded here. You could die here. No one would even know it. That was like the first spoken line in the movie. And I'm like, again, this is foreshadowing, just smacking you in the face. You know, it's very foreboding about what's actually going to happen. But well, and probably the weirdest part of this whole episode was he's missing. He's been captured. Brian Cox's character has been captured. The wife goes to the police. They kind of blow her off. And then she goes, she sees his jacket. She knows he's there. Then at some point, she goes and was like, I found him. He was partying with friends. Then the police officer, the detective, for some reason goes. He sees the jacket, but then he never goes back. That was probably the the part of the episode I I enjoyed the least was I I don't understand. I know that Chuck's wife, you know, he was like, don't go tell the cops because they'll send me back to prison, which I thought was kind of odd because here he is captured. I'm sure he could say whatever he wanted to say. Peter Cushing's, you know, uh, atrocities would overweigh him trying to get into his safe, even if they could prove it. But she couldn't get him out, goes back to the police and doesn't say anything like this specific that scene almost was was pointless. Why did they show her going back and then saying, like you say, oh, no, he's just partying with friends. Well, then why are you even there? You couldn't talk to, to the specific officer that you talked to the first time. So you come up with this bullshit story and then go back and try to break him out. I didn't I didn't get that either. I thought that was weird. In between there, she tries to go and kind of help him out. And the puppy's making all that noise. And Peter Cushing's like, something's going on. So he throws the puppy down in with um, Brian Cox's character. So now there's a dog and him. And eventually his wife ends up in there. Yeah, it was kind of a nod like, oh, now he's got a dog and a, you know, the puppy ends up. That's another thing. I watched two episodes. An animal dies in every episode. You know, like the cat dies. This puppy dies. One of the tigers died, I think, early in the episode. Like it tried to get out. Um, so I was like, man, they, they don't care about their side boobs or their animals in Britain. You know, they're just like, they didn't really die. But I mean, you know, the, like a lot of people in this country are like, oh, you killed an animal in my in your movie. I'm not watching it. It does. It Especially with the puppy. It kind of adds this uh, this layer, especially how they did the puppy. They did the puppy dirty. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially you know, um, it adds like a, a level of brutality to it. But at a first watch, I was like, why did the tiger die in the beginning? So, OK, so these cages are open, but there's these invisible electrical force fields that Peter Cushion has installed. He's conditioning them through Pavlov's theory, almost through bells and, and buzzards when they can go in and out of the cages to get food and not get zapped and die. In the very beginning, the tiger decides, fuck it, I'm going to go through the thing and get zapped and dies instantly. But then after Brian gets out of Brian Cox gets out of prison and then goes there and Peter Cushion is showing him this experiment. Brian Cox puts his hand up to the thing and gets zapped. And I'm like, wait a minute, that just killed like a full size tiger, but it just zapped your hand. That's kind of weird. At the end of the movie, especially now with a second watch, that scene where Peter Cushing, the, the puppy you're talking about, was making noise. So Peter Cushing come down to investigate. He knew she was there. He knew everything. He orchestrated absolutely everything. When he kind of like holds the keys up, you know, because he goes and unlocks the door and looks outside. Then he like holds the keys up and drops them in the drawer. He did that to show her. He wanted her to escape. Everything that happened, he did. He knew about He said you just have to have the right bait to catch whatever you're trying to trap. The twist on both of these, I'm just like, God, if the rest of these have these kind of twists, it'll be worth sitting through 51 minutes to get to the end. The writing on these at the end, I was like, what? So towards the end, Peter Cushing, the panther gets out. 
Brian Cox and his wife escape. The puppies passed, you know, died. And uh, they get out and the panther gets out and Peter Cushing's character falls in. So they go home like they're in the kitchen, right? And the door closes and you see on the back of the door is a some kind of electronic thing. Now they're stuck in their own house. And I was like, why don't you just throw a chair at the window and break it? I mean, maybe you still couldn't get out, but maybe you could scream loud enough for people to hear you. Well, they tried. They, they threw a chair, not at the window, but they were like testing things out and they threw it up at the ceiling. So I think everything was, you know, they led you to believe that everything was electrified. And obviously the filmmakers, you couldn't because it would have broke the window in reality because, of course, in reality, it wasn't electrified. But yeah, there, there's a quick scene after uh, Peter Cushing pushes the wife down into the cage back at the pet shop where you see him drive to their house and then drive back. You don't see it. You just see him drive there and drive back. And uh, actually, you don't even know it's him. I don't maybe No, you do see him pull out. And you're like, what the hell is he doing? And he was setting it up for a cage. And again, he orchestrated the whole damn thing. After that puppy got fried, he let them escape. He made them think that it was they, their choice that they figured out the system. He orchestrated. He's like a politician. He knew exactly what he was doing. You don't get enough information when you see him go to their house on what he's doing. So I almost was like, is he going to like make it look like they went missing or they left or you know what I mean? Like, what's he doing? But yeah, he was going to set up the house so that they'd be stuck there forever. Well, and I think it was to further his experiment because the one part that we didn't touch on was he does when he's unveiling that he was a Nazi and not a captive. He says ultimately what he's trying to do is prove that you don't need prisons with walls because everybody will be too afraid to try to escape. So he actually had, even though I don't agree at all with what he was doing, he had a purpose. He had a reason that wasn't necessarily like diabolical. It was just very extreme. The only thing Peter Cushing didn't account for was when he turned the power off to let them escape to go home, like you say, the panther slipped out before he turned the power back on. He didn't. He didn't account for that. So this, the ending of this, I thought was the the most. It was the coolest shit because you see them. You see Chuck and his wife freaking out in their now entombed house that no one's ever going to know that they're there. And you see Peter Cushing, who is now trapped in his cage that no one's ever going to know that he's there. And they're just both screaming and freaking out and just screaming for help. And that's how the episode ends. It was just so well done. One thing you got to think about is, are Chuck and his wife going to be discovered? Because he did just get out of prison. I don't know how it works in Britain, but I'm assuming he's got parole officer. He's got visits to check in. So it seems that sooner or later, someone is going to go to that house. I'm sure he had to register the address where he was going to live and they're going to, you know, discover what's going on and break him out. Now, Peter Cushing, on the other hand, he's done for. Is the power company going to turn off their power because they didn't pay the bill? And they could leave. <laughs> That's like, the other thing. Can you imagine? Right. Can you imagine how expensive Peter Cushing's power bill is? Oh, my God. I unplug my washer and dryer when I'm not using it to save money. This guy's like got 10,000 volts running through with the place, you know. And, and he's only selling one goldfish a week. Must be an expensive goldfish. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> that was funny. I can't remember who it was in the movie, but it's like, how do you sell enough stuff to keep a pet store open nowadays i was like oh you know like that's that's a good question you were talking about the prison with no walls i was like i was like oh so this is the precursor to the running man you know where they uh, put yeah, like yeah. The, 
the things on them, and if they get too far, their head explodes. It's funny you bring that up. I love that movie, and I thought about one of these. I thought about covering that one of these times because that's horror, but not horror. And it was written by Stephen King as Richard Bachman. Oh yeah, I love that movie. That's my favorite Schwarzenegger movie by far. Almost as good as Hammer House of Horror. I like Running Man better, probably, but there's only one Running Man, and there's 13 episodes of this, so you got you could watch this for you know the next 13 weeks, and you'd be ready for Halloween an episode a week. Isn't Terravision doing something with 13 weeks of Halloween? Yeah, tons of releases, tons, like every week, new Blu-rays, box sets, cassettes, VHS tapes, records. I'm just like, ah, that's the only bad thing. I was talking to our buddy Justin Beam, and I was like, that's the only bad thing about being a subscriber is when I run into Terravision out and about, what am I going to buy? I'm already subscribed. I get everything they put out. Well, yeah, I guess that's good and bad, because if it wasn't for people like you supporting them like that, they wouldn't be able to be out and about to offer things to people who haven't heard from them yet. But yeah, I wanted to cover that. I came across an article about their 13 weeks of Halloween, but it was a super long article and, you know, spill the guts is condensed in uh, you know, 10 minutes or less type thing. So I was like, sometimes I'll come across stuff like that and kind of summarize it. But I was like, this is a lot of freaking material. I can't summarize this and leave something important out. So they actually did a live stream on YouTube two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Maybe a hell, I don't, you know, these weeks are all running together with all these conventions and trips and stuff. But uh, I stayed up until one thirty in the morning watching their live stream just to see what all they were putting out. And the the one thing that like made me happy was they're doing Gator Bait and Gator Bait 2. So I was like, I love Gator Bait. I love that movie. I'll watch that. Yeah. Terrorvision, 13 Weeks of Halloween, Hammer House of Horror, 13 episodes. We only discussed two of them. Let's rate them. What do you think? How, how would you rate your episode, Brian? So I, uh, the house that bled to death, like I said, kind of slow in the middle. Um, the payoff on all of these so far is great. I gave it a six and a half dead cats out of 10. I, I'm right there with you. I, I did six spoonfuls of poison out of 10. In my opinion, this is probably the most Americana out of all the 13 episodes. It's got a great title. There's no way you can't watch this just based off the title alone. Um, it's a decent watch. I feel the story leaves a few loose ends and it almost seemed like there was the, the ending was kind of rushed to button it up and, and end the episode. So again, I've, I didn't hate it. I was happy to watch it again and I would watch it again. And it's again, my top three and my top three out of all 13 episodes, but it is my least favorite of, of those top three. So now my episode, Silent Scream, the highest rated as according to the internet movie database, Hammer House of Four television show. I gave it nine volts out of 10. It was well-written. The story and the dialogue, they kind of like unfold like a chess match. I can't say enough good things. The only reason it's not a 10 out of 10 is because there was a couple, what the fucks? Why didn't she say something to the cops? And then again, at the end, you know, I loved what they did. They're both trapped in the house and Peter Cushing's trapped in his cage. But that was the first thing I thought about. I was like, oh, the PO officer is going to come save him. Everything will be fine. Yeah, I gave this one an eight and a half caged animals out of ten. I don't know why I did half to this episode. I'm just like, yeah, they feel like halves. Eight and a half. Yeah, this one, yeah, I enjoyed this one. I, and it's got Peter Cushing. I mean, how could you go wrong with him in anything? I would like to know the story behind why this was the last time he worked with Hammer. When I came across that fact, it was just a statement. There was nothing alluding to good, bad, and different or whatever. It just said this was the last time he worked with Hammer. And I'm curious why. And then I'm like, did Peter Cushing do anything after 1980? 
You think about it, 1980 is actually pretty modern. And Cushing and, and Hammer's heyday was the 60s and 70s and kind of started to peter off into the 80s. Well, and he was older by this time. So, I mean, maybe he just was like, no, I'm done. Well, now that we've talked about Hammer House of Horrors, let's take a trip back over to this side of the pond and check in with our guys at the PFPN. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening So now that we've heard from our podcast network, it's time for a little This Day in Horror History. A date which will live in infamy. So this episode drops August 20th, and then our next one drops September 3rd. So we get a nice two weeks of pretty good horror history. So on August 22nd, 1986, Night of the Creeps was released. Seen that a time or two. That's in my top 10. We could just end the conversation right here because it doesn't get much better than that. Text Chainsaw Massacre 2 was also released that day. That's kind of, that would be a fun double feature. That would be a fun double feature to watch Night of the Creeps and then watch Night of the Creeps. Fantastic. What? You don't like Tex Chainsaw Massacre too? No, I, I do. I do. Yeah. They're not in the same league, but you know. Hey. And then uh, in 1997, Mimic was released. Boy, this list keeps going downhill. Yeah. And then uh, August 25th in 1939, The Wizard of Oz was released. That's a pretty good one. You just shot right back up there. Yeah. 1989, Little Monsters was released. And then 1979, I don't know why I'm out of order. Zombie, a.k.a. Zombie 2, was released. That's the one where the... I can't remember if that's the one... I think they're the same damn movie where the lady gets the splinter in her eye and the zombie fights the shark. I think that's where the zombie fights the shark. Because I think I think Zombie 3 is when they're on the island, if I'm right. They all kind of blend together for me, too. August 29th, Frank Henlotter, writer-director of Basket Case, Basket Case 2, Basket Case 3, Brain Damage, and Frankenhooker, Frankenfurter, <laughs> is born. Um, I the hell, I don't know a year. doesn't matter. And then August 31st, in 1983, we get Microwave Massacre and Chud. That'd be another fun one. You know, have you seen Microwave Massacre? I've watched three quarters of it. I turned it <laughs> off not because not because I wanted to. I was I remember I was like I had some time like right before it was time for me to cook dinner, like one school night or something. And I was like, all right, I'm going to sit down for a half hour, 45 minutes. And I was like, I'm going to watch this movie. And then I remember I had to turn it off to go like make dinner, do something. And I just I never, never went back for whatever reason. I liked it. I mean, it was boring and cheesy, but I liked it. Well, I mean, how can you go wrong with Frosty the Snowman playing the main character? <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought was wild, too. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the guy that's the voice of Frosty the Snowman is the main character. 
and the voice is unmistakable and he's butchering his wife and <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then uh in 1994 night of the demons 2 was released so some pretty cool horror history in there i am so excited that uh is it shout but i mean so shout studios is getting ready to release night of the demons 1 2 and 3 on blu-ray because obviously night of the demons is like one of my top 10 all, all 10 all-time favorites Two was a solid movie. Three, I have never been able to see. And yeah, I could get online and go on eBay and order a DVD or whatever. I just haven't. Um, I tried to watch it on YouTube and I couldn't find a watchable watch. I tried. It was just garbage. Um, the quality was garbage. So I'm excited because I'll grab this so I can finally see part three, which I know is like the worst in the series might lead you to some new toys. I've got some that I still got to get signed by the cast. And yeah, Frankenfurter was not a Frankenhooker because he didn't pay for sex. No, he just built his own people. Or he didn't get paid for sex. Hey, I guess it's a good thing. I'm not for sure how that all works. So there's one that you uh, one that you left out that just showed up before we started recording today from Rue Morgue. And uh, it says, I kick ass for the Lord on this day in horror history. Dead Alive was seen for the very first time in New Zealand in 1992. It's fun. I love that movie. Oh, it's classic. So now that we've talked about horror history, what's going on? I don't know. We found out what was going on back then and what the fuck is going on right now. I don't have anything going on. We're always doing something. We're kind of in a lull for conventions. Don't have a show for another month. Um, just kind of trying to put this thing together at the Orpheum Theater. It's coming together slowly. But yeah, I don't really have anything. Pretty caught up on our uh, Halloween Apalooza short films. That's kind of wrapping up. School's back in session. So, hell, maybe I can get some more Hammer House of Horror in. We watched all the Twisted Metal. We finished all that. I just canceled Peacock because I just never watched it. And I knew Twisted Metal was coming out, but I still canceled it. I think we get that one free with our internet. One thing I need to do, uh, one thing I do have going on is I got this movie. The director reached out to me on Twitter, and it's from VIP Co. It's called Death Metal. I told him I'd watch it, and I'd talk about it on the show. It sounds more up your alley because it's like death metal. Um, a death metal band is on its last leg. It's about to be dropped by their label. So they hire some uh, Norwegian black metal scene band. Yeah. And it sounds like they are cursed and lots of death metal. But I told him I'd check it out and he sent me a copy and said, thank you. And put a little rock on thing on the front. <laughs> He sent it to the wrong co-host. I might appreciate that better. You got my interest. I'm curious to see it. Michael Kukak looks like is how you pronounce his last name. But yeah, I'm going to watch it. And then the next time I see you, I'll pass it on to you so you can check it out. Looks interesting. I mean, it's hell. Some death metal and some demons and probably some blood and guts. Right up my alley. That's what I need to do. I need to watch that movie because I told him I would and I'd let them know what I thought of it. One of the perks of having a, you know, being part of a horror movie podcast is every so often you get a, a you know, free movie past your way or you'll get to see the Christine car because your friends working with those people or you'll just get to hang out with Chuck Ryan or, you know, get your picture with Art the Clown, Brent Edgett. It's a great time to be alive with all these new movies and stuff coming out too. Yeah, I grabbed a free flick. I forgot to mention that from Flashback. Uh, James Azrael, you know, he runs the, I can't think of the name of it right now. It's not in front of me, but he has the movie props and stuff that he takes to different conventions. He's based out of Chicago. 
Well, he was years ago, Ari Lehman, who played Jason Voorhees when he jumped out of the lake. He's got a band now, First Jason. I don't know if anybody's heard that. He travels around, does a lot. And back in 2014, he um, came to my haunted house, The Corpse Barn, and shot a music video. And there was just a ton of people from all over the, the world that showed up to be in this thing, which I was amazed. And um, James Azrael was one of them. I haven't really talked to him since, but I saw him there. And I walk out to have a cigarette at flashback and he's out there having a smoke. And like right when I walked out, he like threw his movie like up in the air behind him and it almost hit me in the head. I was like, Jesus Christ, James. And he kind of looks at me like, how does this guy know my name? And I went over and I said, hey, you probably don't remember me. I'm Clint. Or no, I said, I didn't say my name. I said, you probably don't remember me. We did a a music video for Ari Lehman back in my haunted house in 2014. And he goes, he looks at me and he goes, Clint. And I was like, oh my God, this guy remembers who the fuck I am, you know? So he had movies he was giving out for free. So I grabbed one. I'm going to check out his film, see what that's all about. The Horror and Sci-Fi Prop Preservation Association. H-S-P-P-A. And every year they bring amazing props and scripts and all kinds of cool stuff to flashback. And you can go check it out. Um, this year they had a big uh, child's play display yeah and it just was cool and i always go over and kind of look at what they have and it's just really interesting like they had the ash i think it was an ash vs evil dead um, from the tv series one of his uh, costumes i mean and they had the chucky that's all burnt together you know that's got the arms and the feet coming out all over um, that was a prop from one of the movies and it's just really interesting and they have some pens that you can you know give them 10 bucks to donate to help them get other props and stuff but yeah it's always interesting to go see what they have i asked him while we were talking because they leave the props are they're not out for everybody to touch and grab and play with but they're fairly accessible they're not like locked away in these like glass cases or anything and i said are you ever worried about someone stealing this stuff or someone breaking this stuff and he told me one story i forget where they were but they were at a convention somewhere he said you know there's security cameras on this stuff you know, their security cameras and um, something about some stuff was mic'd or whatever through the camera. And he said they all of a sudden his phone or his buddy's phone kept alert, alert, alert. And he's looking at it. Well, one of the security guards for whatever convention or hotel they were at, I think it was the hotel, not the convention, was walking through, making sure everything was OK after hours and picked up. He had a RoboCop gun and was like playing with it and twirling it around and acting like he was <laughs> RoboCop, he said. And so they got on the mic through the camera. I was like, uh, excuse me, sir, can you please put that down? And he's like, oh, my God, it scared the shit out of him. And he puts it back and just keeps walking. You know, what do I have going on? OK, so when this episode airs, I kind of got stuff that is just happened a couple of days ago. Like I said, uh, the kids and I went and saw Talk to Me. We already talked about that. When we get done recording right now, Boots and I are heading over to Ann Arbor. We're going to go check out Paranormal Cirque, the R-rated paranormal circus, which isn't necessarily a circus. It looks to me like everything I've seen, it's more performance theater art, but you have the acrobats and, you know, um, but it, I don't think it has like lions and clowns and it's not a traditional circus. In fact, uh, kids 13 and under aren't even allowed. You have to be 17 or older to get in without a parent. I talked about it on Spill the Guts a couple months back, I think. They're traveling the country. They're a half hour away. So, yeah, when we're done recording, Boots and I are going to go check that out. When this episode airs, I just got back from spending a couple days down at Horror Hound in Indianapolis with the Valentine Bluff guys. They got another booth set up. They were set up a flashback and did well. And they're going to be promoting the movie some more. Chuck Ryan's going to be running around in uh, his minor outfit again. So I'm going to go down there and hang out with those guys and, you know, try to uh, push the movie and maybe sell some stuff for them. 
Probably the biggest thing currently, in my opinion, is the day this episode that we're recording right now drops, we will also be recording, I talked about it before, with Jim Crutt from Dawn of the Dead, the helicopter zombie from Dawn of the Dead. I'm looking forward to that. Jim's a hell of a nice guy. Can't wait to sit down and talk with him again and uh, actually lay it down on tape. That's going to be pretty cool. So, Other than that, I don't have another show with inkmirrors.com. Until September 16th, I'll be at Hearstfest. So I will save talk about that for another episode. But yeah, we've still got Hearstfest. We've got Midwest Monster Fest at the end of September. Scarefest is coming up the end of October. And Monster Mania in um, Philly at the middle of November. So there's still quite a few shows to come for the 2023 tour, tour, tour. You'll be tired. I'm tired right now. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I was like, oh, I think you're always tired. That's just part of the hustle. If you're well rested, you're not fucking trying hard enough. Or maybe you're, you're smart. You're smart. <laughs> I'm just sleeping in. Well, now that we've talked news, reviews, collectibles, what we're up to, horror history, the PFPN made a trip across the pond to visit our friends in England and discuss some hammer horror. Don't forget to check out the I Like Spooky Horror podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, and on every damn social media you could think of. Is there anything new that has come out in the last week that we're not on? No, but I recently I recently started communicating under the name of the podcast using smoke signals. I go out in the backyard. I got a response. I don't know if it was alien life forms or what, but that's all stupid. Brian's right. We are available on just about every single mainstream social media platform. You can connect with us all there. Maybe you next you would like go and build um, like those things in the Lord of the Rings where you like light one and then the next town over has to light theirs and it just keeps going. I don't have time for that shit. No. <laughs> so, yeah, check out the I Like a Spooky Horror podcast. Send us a message and take care. Bye bye. And make sure to also check in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Listen into the news on Spill the Guts. Don't forget the first Tuesday and Thursday of each month. You can listen to Brian's going to be taking over the helms of running appendages where we talk about streaming free horror movies streaming on the Crackle and Redbox apps. And make sure to tune into the next feature episode. Like I just said, we're going to be interviewing Jim Crutt. And check out Hammer House of Horror. There's... 11 other episodes we didn't even discuss that I'm sure you're going to enjoy at least one of them. Till next time. Hey, what's wrong with you, man? Show some fucking respect for the dead, will you?